0: thank you very much. How's everybody doing this morning? You ready just to jump right into the word? Father, right now, we just take a moment and we say thank you for your word. That we know that your word is what it says, and you said that it is quick, it's powerful, it's alive. And so, we thank you that as we open it this morning, we receive insight, we receive revelation, we receive what we need from you, Holy Spirit. That you are the teacher, you've come to teach us all things, that you've come to lead us in your paths of peace and show us how to glorify the Father. But it also says that you show us things to come, and you bring things to our remembrance and so right now Holy Spirit we just open our hearts to receive with you this morning to have you flow with us as we open the word and we thank you for it in Jesus name amen well let's jump right back into the series that we've been on this is our summer series this year it's a series on oh come on come on (laughs) technical difficulties you gotta love that eh let's try this again let's reset We are still off. One second. Oh, there we go. Or was that you, Adam? That was you? Okay, well, then I got to reset. Oh, technology's great when it works. <laughs> there we go. We're on a series with King David here. Okay, Adam, you're going to have to go along with me because it's not working. Good to go? All okay, right, we're doing a series on King David. And you know, King David is like one of the like, staple characters of the Bible and of the Old Testament. He is like, if, if you learned any stories when you were a kid in Sunday school, David was one that everybody loved to talk about. Like, you know, there's characters that like, you never talk about in the Bible, and you're kind of like, who, when you mention their name? David is not one of those ones. But the great thing about David is what God said about him. You on there, Adam? Come on, keep up with me here. <laughs> God said, I have found David, a man after my own heart. Wow, wouldn't that be awesome for that to be said about you? Because that's something that God said about David, and the thing about the, the characters of the Bible, it says that they were for, put there for our example and for our learning, because you're really no different than them. Are you human? Got no aliens in the room this morning? Then you, this applies to you. If David can be a man after God's own heart, so can you. You can be a man or a woman after God's own heart. And it says that he will do everything that I want him to do. That was God's statement about David. But the reason why David would do the same things or do whatever God had asked him to, wanted him to do is because it's, the word heart... Oh, Hold on a second, Adam. I think I got control now. Thanks. Oh, now you're moving me too fast. When he said that David was a man after his own heart, the Hebrew word levav, which means it's his mind, his will, his heart, his soul, and his understanding. But as that word is broken down, it really applies to a mode of thinking and acting. So the reason why God knew that David would do everything that he wanted him to do is because David's mode of thinking and acting were in line with what God's were. You know, that's awesome that you can have your thoughts and your actions come into alignment with God's. And you know, the great thing about when that happens is if it produces results for God, what do you think about you when you walk and you talk and you act and you think just like God does? Oh, come on. If it produces results for God... How much more his children? Because right. that's what we are, right? He's Father God. As a parent, what we try to do is we try to teach the children how to think and act and live in a way that will be beneficial to them. And when the child starts to take on the thoughts and the actions of the, pro, of the father, it can sometimes be scary. Because <laughs> you, you think they're only watching the good things, And that's where we get statements like, do as I say and not as I do. Because they're watching what you do just as much as what you say. And then you begin to see those same attributes and those same actions and those same words come out of their mouth. And you hear the kids say some things and you're like, oh, I wonder where you learned that. They were watching mommy and daddy. But the same thing can happen to us as children of God, that we can put our focus and our attention on God and our thoughts and our actions and our lifestyles begin to line up with the way that he lives. And that's what Paul said, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He wasn't saying, just look at me and do what I do, he was saying the reason why you should look this direction is because of where I'm looking. So you know, you can cut Paul right out of it and look to God. Because that was his focus. It says, set your attentions or your affections on things above. Why? Because when your attentions and your affections are set on God, you begin to produce God results into your life. And that's what Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. So think about that for a second. How many times can we throw the word think in here? Think about it for a second. God will transform you by changing the way you think. So why is religion so obsessed with trying to change the way you act? God didn't say, I'll change you by changing your actions. He said, I'll change you by changing your thinking. Why? Because it all starts somewhere. You want to change your actions, change your thought process. You know, Peter said this in 1 Peter 2, 2 as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. The, the main thing that changes our thinking and changing our perspective is supposed to be the word of God. That Peter said, just like children need that milk to grow, so you as Christians need the word to grow. And he didn't say, as newborn babes sometimes go to the Word. It says, no, desire. What is a desire? Desire is like, you ever have like, "Mm, last night I was laying in bed. I couldn't sleep. I was just like wide awake. And I started to think, you know what? I would really like a peanut butter and jam sandwich right now. (laughs) And as I sat there, I started to think about it. And then I was like, no, now I don't just kind of want, I really want one now. And I was like, no, no, I don't need it. It's late, it's in the middle of the night, I don't need to eat. And then, But the more that desire burned, you know what it is? I got up and I went and made myself a sandwich. When you follow the desires of your heart, you end up walking them out. And so when we desire the word, it just becomes like a drawing factor. It becomes an attracting force where it's just like, it's not that I just kind of want the word. The word is is my anchor point. My word is my growth factor. If I get in the word, I will grow. I will change, I will become more in my thinking and my actions like God, and that's how he's wanted me to be because that's how he's wanting to shape my life as his child. So if we go back to Romans 12 2, in the New King James it says it this way, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So earlier on in the week I was thinking about that word renewing. Because I've I've realized that we don't really use that word in the way that it's supposed to be used anymore. When we think of renewal, what do we think of? I've gotta go renew my mortgage, or I've gotta go renew my subscription to whatever. And it means to to carry it on, to continue it. But the word that is used for renew there in the Greek is the word anakinosis, which means a renewal or a renovation. Now that word I can really latch onto because I've spent the entire week doing renovations in my house. It has been a great week of progress that way. But when I saw that word renovation, it just went off on me. If you don't like the way something looks, you change it. You don't like the wall? You tear it down. You don't like the paint color? You put a new one on. You don't like your cabinet doors? You build some new ones. And a renovation is a taking responsibility of saying, if I don't like what I'm seeing, I can change it. And so when Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, if you don't like what you've been living in, if you don't like what you've been seeing, go ahead and tear down those walls and build up some God's word walls in your life. Have a new foundation, a foundation that will actually cause you to grow and be fruitful in the things that God has planned for you in, his, in, in your life. But as I explored that word a little bit deeper, it got even better. The root word for anachinosis means to cause, to grow up, and to bring new strength and vigor When you get in the Word, you want to find some strength? Get in the Word and it will cause new strength and vigor to come to the one who focuses on it. It causes you to grow up. You know, we had that that old Toys R Us commercial, like, I don't ever want to grow up. I don't remember how the rest of it goes. Yeah, I'm a Toys R Us kid. You know, and I think we've raised a lot of people in the last few generations that don't want to grow up. But God is saying, I want you to grow up. I want you to step into the fullness of what I've prepared for you. I want you to walk in the fullness that I've given as you as my child. He doesn't want you to stay the same. And that's why Paul started with, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You don't want to be like them. You want to be like him. And you are like him made in his image and his likeness. But your thought processes can either lead you into growth or can either hold you where you are. I like what one psychologist said, it said said this, your thoughts are a catalyst for self-perpetuating cycles. What you think directly influences how you feel and how you behave. So if you think you're a failure, you'll feel like a failure, and then you'll act like a failure, which reinforces your belief that you must be a failure. So you can set yourself in cycles to either set yourself up for success or set yourself up for failure based upon what you think about what you're walking through. And it says that once you draw a conclusion about yourself, you're likely to do two things. You ready for the two things? Number one. You begin to look for evidence that reinforces your belief. Think about that for a second. You ever notice that people like to be with people like themselves? And then you get statements like misery loves company. You get a bunch of miserable people together because they like to feed off each other. How much more people of excellence, people of vision, people of aspirations. You get around people like that and it begins to builds you up when you're having a bad day and someone who's having a great day comes along you have two choices you can either reject the path that they're going on and stay on your miserable path or you can accept and walk a new path with them because the second one is that once you've formed a belief or a thought you can begin to discount anything that runs contrary to your belief So you can surround yourself with people who think like you, act like you, and then you'll always have what you've always had and what they've always had. Or you can begin to change your thinking and begin to walk new paths. And so God said to David, I found David a man after my own heart. He thinks like me and he acts like me. So therefore I know he'll get done the job that I'm needing him to do right now. And that was he needed to turn the nation of Israel around. They came to Samuel and said, "We want a king." And God said, "Hey, you don't want a king. Trust me. They're going to tax you. They're going to uh, they're going to take all the best lands. They're going to make you fight in the army. You don't want a king." And they said, "Oh, yes, we do." And so they got a king, and then they were like, we don't want a king anymore. And the nation began to go down quickly. And so God quickly pushed Saul out, and he brought David in to refocus the nation. And what happened is, he took the entire nation of Israel, he united it together, and he expanded its borders into a state that it hasn't been since. The pinnacle of the nation of Israel was during the life of David because he was a man who thought like God and acted like God. Now, most people, when they think about the kings of Israel, they think of, oh, Solomon, he was so wise. And really, Solomon wasn't that great of a king. He was smart, but that's about it. He built the temple for God, but then he also built temples to all of his wives' gods. And you have the book of Proverbs, which is like, oh, it's these great nuggets of wisdom. But then later in his life, you get the book of Lamentations, which is the book of complaints. So Solomon wasn't consistent. Now, if we look at David, yes, David had some ups and downs. But you know what? He knew when to turn back to God. And he always was able to turn it back around and come out. You know, this is what Paul said to the Philippians. He said, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. But I want to think about this. I want to think about how upset I am and how they offended me. Oh, if you missed last week, you got to go and listen to it. You missed half your life. If you want to help improve relationships with those around you, go on to wordchurch.ca and check out The Prison of Offense. It'll revolutionize your thinking if you allow it to. But you can choose to fix your thoughts. You know, I found that God will never give you a commandment that you are not capable of fulfilling. So when he says fix your thoughts, he truly means that you can it's not something that's pie in the sky. I'd love to get there. If he told you you can do it, guess what? You can. And so he said, think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And then he says, keep putting into practice all you learned and all you received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, everyone say this word with me, then then the God of peace will be with you. And a lot of us are wanting to step into God's peace and the things that he's called us to be as his children, but we're unwilling to change our thought processes and move away from where we've been so that we can head on to where we're going. You know, you can't find new shores when you're still docked at the marina. You don't discover a new island well, you never left the harbor. And so your need to let go of certain processes in order to embrace other ones. You know, Paul also told the Corinthians this. He says, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. I love that. I loved how it was, he breaks it down so simple in the New Living Translation there. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. It says, we use God's mighty weapons... Not worldly weapons to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. And I love this last part. We capture rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. But if you've never known God's thoughts, you don't recognize God that the ones that don't line up and that's why the word is so important to us we should have a daily diet of the word we should be you should be uh, someone who camps out in matthew mark luke and john and knows what jesus actually said you should be a person who lives in the epistles because they were written to you but you know that i've found that most people they start in genesis and by the time they get to deuteronomy they're like yeah i can't do this anymore why don't you start with what was actually written to you in the dispensation that you actually live in and say, Holy Spirit, illuminate my eyes. Show me your plans and purposes for me. Teach me what, where I stand in the land that I now live in. Proverbs 23, 7 says this, For as a man thinks in his heart, so he is in behavior. That's how the Amplified says it. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is in behavior. So you want to change the results you're having right now? It begins with the thoughts between your ears. That's just where we're starting today. Let's continue back on with King David, the man after God's own heart. Where we left off two weeks ago, we have the most famous battle of David's life, and that's Goliath. You know, everyone's heard the story of Goliath. He's, the, he's the, the nine and a half foot giant facing the little 16, 17 year old kid. And for all intents and purposes, David should never have been the one to fight that battle. But you know that when you are empowered by God, you can take on battles that other people say they shouldn't be doing that. They should have never got that result. They can't be that way. And you say, it's all but by the grace of God. And so we find David, he shows up in the camp. Goliath comes down to make his taunt, send out someone to fight me. If he wins, we'll be your servants. If we win, you'll be our servants. And David... He's talking with his brothers and the other people that are around him. And as soon as Goliath shows up on the scene, it says the Israelites saw him and they began to run away in fright. They began to hide in their holes. They began to stick their heads down. And David's going on and looking around saying like, what are you guys all doing? And somebody says, you know, that whoever fights this guy, King Saul is gonna give him his daughter and he's not gonna have to pay taxes. And David's like, then why are you guys in your holes? You know, David didn't see the problem going on, but their response back to David is so telling, is have you seen the giant? Which tells me where their focus was. They were so focused on the giant that they couldn't see their God. And David's response is even more telling where his thought process were. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that dare, I love that, that dare defy the armies of the living God. David's mind was so God-focused that giants weren't a problem. The rest of the nation of Israel was so giant-focused that God was nowhere to be found in their thought processes. So we know what happens. Word gets back to Saul. They send him out to fight. And as David's approaching Goliath, this is what Goliath screams at. He says, "I am I a dog that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by his go- the names of his gods. And he says, come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the animals. And David replied, to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, God. And he didn't just leave it there. So he told the giant who he represents, you come with sticks or your spear and whatever, but I come with God. And then he says this, today the Lord will conquer you and he, I will kill you you got to look at how improbable that actually sounds. Hi, David. I'm going to kill you. It's not a sure thing when you look at it from a natural standpoint. But when you look through the eyes of God, things that look unsure for others become sure for you. And so it says, but the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you, I will cut off your head, and then I'll give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people. So first he says, I come with God, I'm going to take you down, and then all of these scaredy cats hiding in their holes are going to know that there is a God in this country. So, David does what he said. He takes out the giant. But what did we say? You never run at your giant with your mouth closed. There should be a word on your mouth when situations rear their head. And David all started in verse 45 when David replied to the Philistine. You know, the thing I've recognized in my life is that there are a lot of things that talk to me that I never talk back to. And I, I, sometimes when I think about that, I'm like, God, it should not be this way. There should be a response on your lips for everything that challenges you and challenges God and that response should be the word you know as I was thinking about that statement David replied to the Philistines I was reminded of Jesus and in Mark chapter 11 verse 12 it says they're coming out of or heading towards Jerusalem they're leaving Bethany and Jesus was hungry so Jesus is in a state that we can all relate to anybody ever been hungry in this room Every hand should have been up because you have been hungry. Don't be so holy. So, Jesus is just like you, He has natural desires, natural urges, and He was hungry. And he noticed a fig tree full, in full leaf a little ways off. And so he went to see if he could find any figs. But there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Now what people often miss is that uh, the way fig trees develop, if there is leaves, there should be figs because their development starts right before the leaves. And so this tree was acting outside of its nature. It has a bunch of leaves that have come out, but no figs. And in response, Jesus said to it, in response to what? The tree didn't say anything, but it did. It said, you will not find your satisfaction from me. And so many times things crop up in our lives and say, you will not get what you need from me. And we need to turn around and say right back to it, my God supplies all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. They don't get the final word you and God do. And so Jesus, in response to a tree, if Jesus can talk to a tree, how much more the situations of your life that seem to be holding you back? How much more when the bills are piling up, do you have a response? How much more when there's pain in your body, do you have a response? How much more when it feels like the walls are closing in and you don't have a way out, how much more your response? If Jesus has a response to even when he was hungry and a tree is not going to feed him, how much more your response to the situations of your life? Now it says, the disciples heard it. So it's not like Jesus had this conversation in his head, no one's going to eat fruit from you again. No, he said to the tree, no one's going to eat fruit from you ever again. And the disciples heard it. Now in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from its roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. And so Jesus answered to him and said, Have faith in God. I love that. He shows him where everything starts from. Put your faith in God. And then he says, For assuredly I say to you that whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that those things which he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. And then he reiterates it again. He says, therefore, I say to you. So he wants the disciples to understand this is not an abstract situation that I'm talking about. It's not something that's only available to me. He says it once, and then he says, so I'm telling you this, so that they're focusing, so that they're listening, so that they're understanding. He's not talking about somebody else. He's talking to them. And when he's talking to them, he's talking to you. So therefore... Because of what I've just said to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe you receive them, and you will have them. You know, this is something that a lot of people don't like, but Jesus says it again and again. In John, he says, he says ask, and you shall receive, that your joy might be full. And then he tells his disciples, he says, up until this point, you've asked nothing, but ask the Father in my name, and he'll do it for you. Matthew 7, 7, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. 1 John chapter 5, this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we have the desires that we have requested of him. So this is not something that Jesus just made mention of in a passing form. No, this is something he reiterated. If you are in need, ask the Father, receive it from him, and he'll do it. Now, John said, ask according to his will. What is his will? His will is his word, which is why Peter says, sincerely desire the milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Because when you discover what he has given to you and prepared for you, you'll stop thinking small. And when you stop thinking small, it allows you to start thinking big. And when you think big, you begin to walk in bigger dreams. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So faith always starts with God and then is expressed and released through our words. Then it influences our actions and the results in our lives. Haven't been seeing what you thought you'd like to see in your life? Go back to where you're thinking. Go back to where your faith is and then check on what you've been talking about. The thing I've learned over the last decade and 12 years now of ministry is people will always tell you what they believe after they tell you what they believe. So they'll tell you what they think you want to hear, and then if you listen long enough, they'll tell you what they really believe, and it's usually the opposite. But when you align your beliefs and your thoughts and your words with what the Word has said about you, the results just begin to flow. You know, you have to understand that the results are not your concern. They're God's. That was his end of it. He said, Come and pray, receive, and you shall have. Which means that our part was to believe and to ask. The rest of it, stop worrying yourself about. Keep your thoughts and your words anchored on God and His Word, and the rest just goes. That's the grace of God. It's not based upon your works. You just align your beliefs with him. Okay, you think we forgot about David, didn't you? (laughs) The story of David actually doesn't begin with Goliath. It actually begins a chapter before that, and it begins at the failure of Saul. Saul is rejected from being king by God. And here's where we find Samuel, the one who anointed Saul as king, This is where we find him in in, uh, 1 Samuel 16, 1. It says, now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? So you know what's happened. God has rejected Saul, and Samuel is sitting around pouting about it. How long will you mourn for Saul? You know, the things of the past have have a large hold on us. And God is saying to Samuel, why are you still sitting here? If one king is gone, that means a new one is coming. When we look back at the things of our past, we have to understand they have already passed. They're done. They're gone. You cannot relive those again. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. You cannot relive them again. So honestly, they are not worth another moment of your thought life. Think about today. Think about the new direction you need to go. If it ended in failure, let it go. If it ended in its success, build upon it. But don't worry about it. You know, there's this saying that no man can add even an inch to his height by worrying about it. And no person can change their past by shackling themselves to it. All it does is drown the present. So God starts off with telling Samuel, why are you still whining about this? And then he says this, fill your horn with oil and go. It's not unworth another thought. Samuel, fill your horn. What was he telling him? You need to go anoint a new king. I love that God didn't tell Samuel who. When it came to Saul, God said, go find Saul. But when it came to David, he just said, go. You know, we sometimes get so wrapped up in wanting to know the details when go was enough. Get on the path. Take the step. You don't need to know the whole journey. You just need God to point you in the right direction. And you can often be led by God as much by what He doesn't say as what He does. If He told you to go, get up and get going. And so he tells Samuel, fill your horn with oil and go. And then he says, find a man named Jesse who lives there in Bethlehem, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. I like that he said, my king and not your king. Saul was their king. David was God's king for them. We have to understand the difference. There's things that we want and then there's things that God wants, and they produce very different results. But Samuel said this. He says, how can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. So this tells us Samuel's attachment to the past. He's still concerned with Saul when he should be more concerned with God. And he says, so God just gives him the, bypasses all that and says, just take a heifer with you, And say that you've come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. Not for them, for me. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. Always a good thing to do. Be obedient. If you've got the go, at least walk that out. If you've got more details than that, walk it out. And and when he arrived in Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him and said, what's wrong? This just floored me when I was thinking about this. Their picture of God was so twisted that their immediate assumption is the man of God has showed up, something must be wrong. They don't understand the love of the Father. They don't understand the heart of God. They should have been saying, What would you like us to do? But their response was, What is wrong? You know, we can take on a false opinion of God. We can take on the world's opinion of God. But God doesn't come to you because something's wrong. He comes to you because you're his kid and he wants to see things go right. Then their next question was, Do you come in peace? <laughs> God's not mad at you. I know a lot of religion seems to think that he is. God has already poured out all his wrath on Jesus and buried it in the grave. That's why he can be God is love, because that's all he's got left. He says, yes, Samuel replied, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. And when they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab, the oldest son, and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. How many of us, when we're looking to God to be led to where we should be, we look at things and say, surely that's where God wants me to be. Just because it looks good doesn't mean it is good. You've all heard the saying, all that glitters is not gold. Just because it looks good to your eyes doesn't mean that that's the right path you should go. The God path is always the best path, not necessarily the good path and so he looks at Eliab's outer appearance and says surely this is the Lord's anointed why because that's what he did with Samuel or with Saul he said he was very good looking and that he was head and shoulders above all the nation of Israel but the Lord said to Samuel don't judge by his appearance or height for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. You know, there's something that I added into my morning routine probably about two years ago now, and it's this. Thank you, Lord, that I have eyes that see and ears that hear like you do. Because it says, he doesn't see them the way we do, which means I need to look different, which means we need to look different. You know, I remember it was a number of years ago now that a a business guy came to us and he was like, you know, this is what I'm gonna do. And God said, this is the way to go. And as soon as he said, God said this is the way to go, I knew in my heart that that was not the way God had told him to go. But it looked really good in the natural. And you will get opportunities like that that look really good in the natural. But you know what? As he walked out what he thought God had told him to do, it was really what he wanted to do. And in the end, it resulted in disaster and failure. And then guess who got the blame? God. That's why we need to say, God, enhance my spiritual senses rather than my natural ones. And this is what God told Samuel. People judge by the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. What do we know about David? He's a man after God's own lavav. Thoughts, actions, mode of thinking. Therefore, he gets God results. Then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shemiah, but Samuel said, neither is this the one that the Lord has chosen. And the same way, all of the seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Ever been there? God, should I do this? No. God, should I do this? No. God, should I do this? No. Keep going. Samuel could have packed it up and been like, well, I guess I heard wrong. I thought I was supposed to come to Jesse's house and anoint one of his sons, but we've gone through all seven and it's not one of these. But Samuel pressed on. He says, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and the goats. You know, oftentimes, the things that are the most successful, everybody else looks at and says it's not worth anything. Maybe some people have been saying that about you. That's okay. If they think you're not worth it, God does think you're worth it. If they think that you can't do it, God thinks you can do it. And so there says, David, he's, just, he's out with the sheeps and the goats. You, would, you wouldn't want him. We didn't even bother telling him we're having this feast tonight. You know, he can just stay out there. You know, oh, to be the youngest son, you know. There's seven other to turn to. Why do we need David, God doesn't look at things the same way you do. And so Samuel says, send for him at once, we will not sit down to eat until he arrives. Now we don't know how much land they had, or how far away David was, but now everyone's going to be hungry by the time he gets there. And so Jesse sent for him, and he was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes, and the Lord said, this is the one anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with oil, and the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Why could David take on Goliath? Because the Spirit of God was on him. You know, when you got saved, guess what happened? Spirit of God came and made his home inside you. Which means I'm not just looking at a bunch of regular people. I'm looking at a bunch of giant killers. I'm looking at people of infinite possibility and opportunity. Because it's not some other spirit you've got in you. It's the Spirit of God. And he didn't just come on you a little bit he moved his whole house in. So the thing I want to leave you with this morning is, is there things you're leaving on the table because you think you can't? Take another look because God says you can. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We ask, Holy Spirit, that it would root down in our heart, that you would show us how to apply it in these areas of our lives. We ask you to expose those thoughts that are not beneficial to us and bring to remembrance your word so that we can walk in your paths. I love what you said in Psalm 119, that the entrance of your word brings light and that it gives understanding to the simple. I think we qualify, so we thank you for your word, Lord. We give you praise for it, in Jesus' name, amen. You guys are dismissed this morning, and remember, you are loved and accepted by the Father. Have a great week.